Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of FinTV. Today, I'm joined by a really special guest, uh, Nada Sanders, who is a distinguished professor of supply chain management. She's an author and she's a thought leader. Nada, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, why don't you tell us all a little bit about yourself uh, and your journey so far? Sure. So my background is actually in supply chain management and operations management. But actually, at the very start of my career, even my dissertation um, actually had to do with forecasting in a supply chain context. And that was the beginning of this journey where um, I was working in the retail sector, looking at various forecasting models and working with companies. And really what I discovered at the very start was the way decisions are made in business. So with all the models that we have, uh, oftentimes we rely on expert judgment. So, you know, through my entire journey through supply chain management, resilience, and all the different aspects that I have worked on, uh, the, the common thread through a lot of that was actually how do organizational leaders use software technology uh, to not only forecast, but to make decisions, whether it's new markets, whether it's new products, whether it is in an SNOP context, uh, very strategic or tactical. And um, that has kind of led through the journey uh, to where now uh, so much of my work has been the interface of the organization in terms of digital transformation, the use of AI, and the discovery in terms of how organizations best interface with that technology in order to make good decisions and to thrive. And, and how, how have you seen the, uh, the role of a supply chain leader, for example, evolve uh, over the years, especially in terms of making decisions with technology? So um, a few aspects here that I think are really important. So at the very onset of my career, many, many years ago, I really thought it was kind of funny looking back. I mean, I really thought I was going to go in and use some very sophisticated models and wow them only to, to discover that business leaders often have contextual information that the model doesn't have. That really hasn't changed. I think um, as I look at this entire process, even today with all the technology that we have, um, there's information uh, that's coming to supply chain leaders all the time. What competitors are going to do, where a market has imploded. Um, look at what's happened with COVID. That is to me an excellent example of the fact that all the AI in the world, all the forecasting models that we have could not have predicted what was going to exactly happen. And even now, uh, today, as we look at what supply chain leaders are going to do, how do they restructure their supply chains? They need technology uh, to help them, to guide them, say, in scenario planning, in risk assessment, developing risk scores for their supply chains. But at the end, it's the leaders that are going to have to make those 
decisions. So I think that through the decades that I've been doing this, the role of human judgment, the, the expertise of what a supply chain uh, leader brings to the table has really not changed. I think what has evolved is perhaps understanding technology better, uh, relying on it more in many ways to guide their, their judgment. And obviously, as you know, we have automated so many uh, 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 tactical decisions, uh, managing SKUs, you know, uh, especially B and C inventories and things like that, that maybe we didn't do, you know, a few decades ago. But I think when it comes to really strategic decisions, um, the technology still continues to serve as an input. And again, what's happening with, with COVID, uh, it's really taught us and I think it's shown us that we really need expert judgment and we need that human ingenuity that technology cannot really give us. And I can tell you that I have been working, uh, especially over the last five years, with companies in terms of how they use their technology, how they use AI. And I think some things have changed uh, in terms of what companies should be doing now that we are in this position. But I think even before the pandemic, most of the companies were still looking at costs, looking at you know what's competitors you know what what are they going to do um and a little bit afraid to kind of make the move so in some ways it has changed but in other ways the 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 experience that i think executives and senior leaders bring to the table is even more important than ever because we're in this very volatile dynamic world that algorithms simply don't have the information to be able to process that well, it's, it's funny because there's so much hype around AI, machine learning, and uh, digital transformation. It's almost as though it's the magic bullet that's going to solve all of our woes. And this is even before COVID. Um, is, do you think that there's an overestimation as to the value that this sort of technology is meant to bring? Very much so. So we had um, really begun a research journey, my colleague and I, uh, to look at the sort of magical things that AI can do. And, and working with a number of companies, um, we were really surprised to see that, I guess, two really important aspects. One is I think that most business leaders really do not really understand the seismic shift that AI and machine learning and technology are bringing to the table. And we can talk about that in a little more detail. Um, but then the other aspect is the fact that in, there is so much hype in the um, media, in publications, so there is this sort of magical thinking that if we could just get, you know, if we just get blockchains, and it's really funny because I was just looking at, a, at a, a, a sequence, a series of studies from 2017 until just now 2020, um, we're basically looking at who is using blockchains, what is the level of usage compared to how familiar industry leaders are. And the numbers show that even though compared to 2017, now in 2020, uh, there's tremendous understanding of what blockchains are. But the level of usage has really not changed very much. And you get into expenses and what is all involved. So there is so much magical thinking, uh, uh, discussions of you know, what AI can do. And AI can do some amazing things. 
but technology has very many limitations that I think people need to really understand. Um, machines, AI, machine learning, they're going to be so much better than us in terms of number crunching, pattern recognition. That's why we see, I mean, uh, uh, AI is going to be so much better at finding melanoma. Um, mm -hmm. And in terms of that sort of narrow problem solving where you recognize patterns. Um, however, when it comes to context, when it comes to creativity, when it comes to innovation, when it comes to putting together a business strategy, a supply chain strategic plan, um, your AI can serve as an input, but that's all it is. Um, so I think the business leaders really need to understand the limitations, the costs, um, and what they are getting. Um, and how it serves their overall strategic purpose. So um, it, there's really a lot going on. And I think because of the hype, as you had mentioned, I think so many business leaders prior to COVID were really in the sort of frozen kind of wait and see before we acquire it, what should we be acquiring it? And I have to tell you, it is challenging for business leaders because while we have the hype, we have so many software vendors yeah. out there. And I have had so many business leaders talk to me uh, because I'm a professor, okay? I don't make my living in terms of selling software. And I can be objective. I can be very honest. I've done a lot of expert witnessing, to tell you the truth, where I've actually looked at software capability versus the promises that were made. And we oftentimes don't see what that, where the match is. So I think business leaders are bombarded with all the opportunities in terms of the software, what it's going to do, uh, and they're not sure where to, where to turn. And so I think there is a tremendous amount of hype, and there was and continues to be. Um, but some of the challenges are a little bit different now than, say, December or January before we got into this position. I think it goes without saying that you know, the innovative supply chain of the future is going to need technology. I don't think we're, we're suggesting that. Absolutely. I think what, what you're saying is that the over-reliance on technology as the sole uh, magic bullet to help, you know, you become, um, I, I guess, competitor, competitive over your, you know, uh, the people in the industry. Uh, what you're suggesting is that the role of the leader, though, is much more important than what was previously or what is being brandished about. Absolutely. I mean, there is no question. Look, um, as far as IoT, uh, manufacturing, automated uh, manufacturing, warehousing, transportation, there's no question, right? The efficiencies, the insights that can provide. Um, and especially now, being able to gauge and measure um, scores in terms of risk and, and so forth, we as humans can't comprehend that. However, we can take that as input. And I think that right now today, with the capabilities that we have, we need to recognize that it's an interplay between the technological capability that feeds and helps decision makers. Now, so many processes, especially at the tactical level, uh, need to be automated. Uh, they're going to be so much more efficient, uh, uh, cost effective, no question about that. Um, so we are looking at digital supply chains without doubt. More than ever, what is really important is that interface. 
Uh, which parts do you completely automate? Um, how do you have cobots working in, say, a facility? And you go from those tactical manufacturing processes uh, all the way up to the various levels of leadership um, and kind of rolling them up uh, to where uh, we really begin to empower leaders with the information that they have that is much more, much more accurate. There's kind of a caveat here. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to also be careful with regard to the dirty data. Now, when it came to decision making for years, uh, we've talked about dirty data, the fact that, you know, you, we have all kinds of data um, and there's always this excitement, the more data, the better. Uh, today, the supply chain leaders that I talk to have more data that they know what to do with. Mm-hmm. The question becomes, how do you turn that data into information? And can you do it in real time? Uh, It's very challenging. Most leaders that I know aren't able to turn that overnight or have it in in real time. However, the challenge is to make sure that that data truly is clean, that it is reliable. And I actually just last week talked to a company that was saying that's a major challenge. One of my personal pet peeves, and because I've seen this so much, you have all this data and you crunch it through numbers and you put it on a PowerPoint. That's the pet peeve. (laughs) It goes on this PowerPoint and I have literally walked into boardrooms and suddenly this beautiful PowerPoint and you know, it's this graph and it's going up, the numbers look good. And we really don't question, um, have we cleaned the data? Have we done some rudimentary aspects to make sure that the data is reliable? So when managers, executives, CEOs, look at the data and actually then now have a synopsis that all the processes that have gathered this data and have gone through it um, have actually gone through the cleaning so that the data is reliable. And because we have so much more data coming in all kinds of forms, because we have these sensors right across supply chains that we have, um, we're we're, uh, aggregating it, we want to make sure that we're actually uh, cleaning it. So in many respects, it is almost better to have less data and reliable data than have a lot of data that is misleading, that is dirty, that has not been clean. So that that is just kind of a caveat that I think that executives need to be careful of. Let's talk a a little bit about your book. Uh, You've got a a book that is, uh, let me just see. So so what what exactly is a Hugh machine? So no, it's, uh, thank you for asking. So uh, the book came out uh, in, October, uh, right before all this happened. And uh, just again, I I have to brag here for a second, but uh, it was just shortlisted um, for the Outstanding Book Award by Taylor and Francis for 2019. So we really are really proud of it. We really are. There's an audio version as well. So we're very happy uh, as to the um, uh, attention it has has gotten. let me inter- so just so, so that our, our listeners, our viewers can, can know. So it's Hugh Machine, Humankind, Machines, and the Future of Enterprise. Yeah. So before I, I, I define what that, what that is, uh, we had started on this journey five years ago, uh, again, as I had mentioned, mesmerized with AI and technology and wanting to go into companies to identify and see um, what are the keys to success in order for companies to use AI in decision-making, in order to be technology-driven companies. What we discovered was that technological leaders, the the key differentiator of success 
was not the technology per se, but it was actually the, the human talent, uh, the human element. We discovered that what really makes a, a, a leading company is uh, in the AI era is one that really creates and creates the opportunity for a synergy between technology and humans. And um, it was so much so, it was really very eye-opening. Uh, we had talked to company leaders, we had talked to technology leaders, and as this project evolved, we actually talked with leaders in business strategy, as well as the law, as well as philosophy of mind. And uh, we said to each other, you know, what we're calling the technology or the AI era should almost be called the human era. And we begin to see that it was the organizations that were creating a symbiosis between the talent and AI that were succeeding. So we call the book the human machine because we see this as an emerging form of enterprise uh, that combines the best of what humans have to offer and what AI and machine learning and technology, what machines have to offer. And it is their integration, that, it, that it, it's their interface that is really the key to success. But there are some aspects of these companies that are really very different. Um, we can't say right now that one company exemplifies fully the human machine. But if you look at leading tech companies from Google and Hire and um, Siemens and, and so forth, there's, there are many examples. Um, these companies operate very differently. They have a very different vision. And I can elaborate on that in, in a bit. Uh, but their organizational structure is such that it um, enables a much more efficient uh, interaction and symbiosis between the technology and their workforce. Everything from onboarding to selecting talent uh, and matching it with the technology has been well thought out. And it is all in the purpose of a very clear vision that is very different from so many companies that we've talked to where they see technology, they see AI as, you know, just another plug and play solution. So, and we actually say that in the book, the big difference is the way that technology is viewed. And that comes back full circle to what you had mentioned at the onset. So we have this hype about what AI can do. Um, and, and by the way, what AI can do in areas like medicine, uh, say in disease, you know, uh, um, uh, and so forth, um, that is very different than what we see in how do you run an organization and make decisions and a supply chain. How? Well, because an enterprise is a system. That is very different than, say, recognizing a pattern in melanoma. Um, when I'm running an enterprise, I have to link a whole host of issues from marketing through operations, production, sourcing, and they have to be linked together both horizontally and vertically so that the entity operates as one. That is much more complicated and we look at technological advancements. We look at um, uh, machine learning and AI opportunities on the marketing side we see them on the sourcing side. We certainly see this in manufacturing, in operations, 
transportation, um, you know, packaging, tracking, all of that. The thing is they have to be linked together. Otherwise, you still have these highly efficient silos, but you have silos and they have to all work together uh, in the purpose of this higher vision for the organization. And that's the key. So a company is actually better off with slightly lower technology that is integrated, that has a very clear vision of what it is trying to do, uh, as opposed to what we've seen where you say, uh, or you acquire a technology as this sort of plug and play. You, let's say, have this incredible uh, marketing, censoring um, use of technology. But if that doesn't tie to your ability to be able to deliver, if you're going to be short on inventories, if it's not happening in real time, your system isn't working. And that, I think, is the difference. And I think we have to be aware of it when we look at business and an enterprise versus supply chain and compare that to these miracles in um, medicine is the one that I frequently use. It's a very different story. I absolutely love what you said about highly efficient silos because this has been a problem since I've been in, well, probably before I've been in supply chain, business in general. It's about the fact that businesses have these silos uh, and the, the lack of end-to-end -end visibility. People are operating within these silos. And so what you're saying is that those companies that layer on technology without solving the lar larger, maybe human and process element of, of their businesses, will just fast track their silos or elevate their silos. They'll make it even better, but they'll still be silos. They're not gonna get rid of the big issues. Yes, and what you're doing as a company is you are just solidifying bad processes. So one of the things we actually offer um, a framework, uh, framework in the book in terms of what companies can be doing. And some of it is pretty specific relative again to hiring the right talent and onboarding and the linkages both horizontally and vertically. Um, and prior to that in the book, we really detail what as humans we are really good at, what machines are really good at, and how again they really complement each other. Actually, it has a name, um, uh, Moravec's paradox, and uh, it's a common uh, uh, term used in the AI world. But Moravec's paradox tells us that actually innately what humans are good at, machines are not, and you know, we really complement each other. So what that also means is, um, what that means is that the kind of uh, talent that you bring in and how you utilize them as a company is really important. So, you know, one of the companies that we had talked to, um, a large company really highly driven by AI, uh, when we asked what was the key to success, it was really interesting. Their answer was, we got everybody to believe in the technology. So we got everybody to believe. Now, what that does is it taps into these human issues of emotion, right? I mean, workers are afraid for their jobs. Mm -hmm. So if you want them in your enterprise to really, truly get the best out of that technology, 
You don't want them to sabotage it. You don't want them uh, uh, to uh, carry a little extra inventory or override the system uh, because they think that A, maybe they can't trust the technology or they will lose their job due to technology. So it has to be a system where um, everybody works together as these companies move along to acquiring technology. Uh, they bring everybody along, all the workers, um, in terms of what that vision is, the right training, uh, and there are various ways that we discuss in the book in terms of how companies do it very well. You know, but you want to bring everybody on board. So, sorry, I was just going to say, do you know, there's so many statistics that, flying about, that fly about or so much is spoken about the failure of digital transformation projects, you know. Uh, I'm also hearing a lot of murmurs from a lot of our members and their board level who are whispering that digital transformation has yet to uh, give them the results they were expecting or it hasn't lived up to the expectations that they had. Do you think, and I would imagine, you, I think I know the answer to this, do you think that these projects fail or that digital transformation doesn't live up to the hype because of... Uh, the fact that they're utilizing or relying on technology to do it all uh, and not taking into consideration the human aspect of it, the, the people and process side of things? Absolutely. Um, so it has to start with a bigger overarching vision um, that may require, and I've seen in most of the companies, some kind of a restructuring breaking down the silos, as I had mentioned, uh, really integration uh, across horizontally, but also vertically, so that um, lower levels in the organization uh, can communicate easily with higher levels, so that everybody shares the same vision. Um, one of the executives that I had talked to had said to me, uh, what we need now are people that can think in broader terms, how their function, for example, and what they do relates to financial aspects, to strategy. And I think the biggest mistake uh, was, as I had mentioned at the onset, that as AI has come on board, as things like machine learning, blockchain, software, the view was, well, okay, it's just one more thing that we have to acquire. And it's this plug and play. It's a new CRM system that we just plug in, but everything else stays the same. That is the reason why it's not working. It's not working because that is not true. That's not how it works. Nothing is going to stay the same. Uh, you need to be integrated as an organization and you need to integrate uh, as an entity and your people with the technology. That technology and that amazing capability of AI needs to support the organization. As we had uh, already said, some things, yes, are going to be completely automated. Um, we use a term in the book uh, called bot sourcing. And bot sourcing, just like outsourcing, right? Outsourcing, bot sourcing is, uh, is actually, you know, giving tasks or having technology and AI do certain tasks. Of course, there's going to be bot sourcing. Of course, we're going to use technology for so many automated tasks. But that also means that innovation is going to come on the, on the worker side and that integration uh, has to take place. But if workers don't know what to do, if managers don't know what to do, um, if executives even don't know what to do, and I've seen many executives uh, at the VP level that still don't know how to do, you know, what to do and how that organizational structure has changed and what the vision is, 
uh, then it's not gonna happen. Because again, it is not another plug and play solution. And I think that's where we discuss that in the book. And that's where this sort of, I think for us, a seismic shift is going on. It's in that understanding and that vision. You can't just buy it, you know, acquire it, have some vendor implement it, and that it's going to work. It's not. So do you think that perhaps, and maybe this is a controversial statement, do you think that the vendors are at fault here for selling some sort of dream uh, solution? Maybe not all of them, and we're generalizing. I'm sure there are people that do a great job uh, in getting you to A, to buy it, and B, to uh, to to implement a solution that is gonna be plug and play when in reality it's more complex than that? It's, um, no, it's a, it's a really good question. And it's a hard question because I know really many vendors who, um, and small vendors that have come up with amazing solutions. Um, I'm not sure really where to put the blame. And I say this because if you're a vendor, you're a vendor, you wanna stay in business too. I can't blame you for wanting to sell your product, right? So, but there is this broader lack of understanding. So I don't know whether it's sort of this, you know, synergy going on with the media wanting the latest story and the vendors wanting to sell what they have. What is lacking is an understanding that you need a holistic view of the company. And then these solutions need to support that view. But just acquiring the technology is not gonna do it. Now it could also come from the fact that this vision is really, really pretty seismic. I mean, I have been, you know, I remember uh, in the 90s, a very early start of my career when uh, JIT or, or, you know, uh, Lean came about and that was this great innovative, you know, training companies in it. And then we had, you know, theory of constraints and various managerial processes. So I think for a lot of companies, there is this idea, well, you know, this is just one more thing now that we do. And uh, I think that it's a, it's a much more comprehensive change that has to take place. Companies will not get the results that they're looking for if they don't have a comprehensive vision of integrating that technology uh, into what they're trying to do in a very new competitive landscape that was very different before the coronavirus. It is different yet now after, you know, we're still in this pandemic. Um, I think companies know they need to be very clear on what they're trying to do, who they are, which company, which, which customers are they trying to keep in this pandemic, this very difficult position. How does technology support that? And how does it integrate with who we are rather than just acquiring it um, and overlaying it on top of processes that may not be working? I think the operative word here is support. You know, support your exist what you're what you're doing right now. I mean, we talked. My previous question was, do you th you know about the vendors? Do you think they're at fault? And I think you're right. I think it's a combination of all things. I mean, if if I'm sold a gadget that's going to clean my floors, you know, and uh, I'm not going to expect it to make my dinner as well, you know, and and I, and I think to put it really simplistically, right? To put it really simplistically, um, I, I think there's some sort of element of our own as, as uh, business leaders understanding of what the technology can do. 
Yes, and I think in 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 all fairness, again to the to the vendors, uh, they probably you know many of them have some excellent solutions to the problems. I think it is really important. Um, I think what you're doing is really important through these kinds of, of of ways to really share this with leaders to understand that that these solutions are going to solve the problem that they offer. Um, and I think it's important to understand the limitations that they have. So you are responsible as a business leader to run your organization and to have this broad vision and to understand that you don't want to be acquiring technologies in parallel, in silos, um, as we have seen. As, and I, I had mentioned this already, we have amazing solutions uh, that we see in terms of market capture, especially you know, various sensors uh, to gather what is happening on the market front. The issue is to integrate that seamlessly with operations. And again, when we look at warehousing, production facilities, manufacturing, we have amazing automation, but we need to have all of that linked. And on the procurement side with sourcing, um, how many companies have gotten into trouble right now, not really being able to have a full view of their upstream suppliers and measure that risk properly? Uh, how is that tied to the promises that are made on the marketing side? Optimizing that system uh, and what the company is trying to do is what is needed. So right now, for example, so many companies I know are narrowing their product lines because of all the you know, problems that, that we're seeing, trying to really make sure that they are keeping their top customers happy. How does that system link through the entire supply chain uh, to make sure that we optimize the system and have an end-to-end -end view to some kind of control tower that supports the overall vision of what we're trying to do? That is what we're after. And that the employees at all levels and executive level as well understand what the overall vision is. Um, what is our strategy that we're trying to accomplish? Uh, that is what's really important. And I think, I think perhaps maybe the focus on the processes that you currently have, what technology is going to do to, to improve those processes overall, how it's going to help you collaborate with different departments so that you can break down the silos, uh, how, you can how you can use your, uh, your human talent effectively. Um, what advice, what practical advice would you give to supply chain leaders today who are currently probably evaluating the possibility of investing in new technology uh, or maybe have only recently invested in new technology? Um, the first thing I would, I would stress is having the system view of the organization and what the organization is trying to do. Um, I cannot tell you how many organizations um, don't have their processes in digital form. You need to have um, uh, data digitized. That is a first priority. Before you jump over to AI and blockchains and all of that, make sure that you can put everything in digital form. Uh, next, make sure that you understand the information that uh, managers, executives at all levels 
um, what information do they actually need? And are they getting that information in real time? And can they share that information across the organization? So while we daydream and talk about AI right now, blockchains and, and machine learning, I mean, it, and it's wonderful. That capability, I'm not trying to diminish, is gonna be with us. It is going to run supply chains in the long run. But as companies move forward, before they, they jump into AI, yeah. make sure that your processes are actually uh, digitized and that your people have information. And then right now, I think today, especially with the coronavirus pandemic, it is absolutely critical to have a very clear focus as a company what you're trying to do, who are the customers that you're trying to, to make happy. Are you pivoting, for example? Some companies have pivoted their processes a little bit. And understand um, what your operations look like. So when you acquire technology, that you are supporting those processes. So um, as opposed to immediately acquiring a high-level technology, you don't necessarily need to do that. Start now with the basics and then build on that as opposed to getting uh, a very sophisticated technology for one process but not for the others uh, again you will end up with highly efficient silos so start with the basics and based on your research that is what will help an organization uh, really get the most out of this new technology absolutely start by putting everything in a digital form into end-to-end -end throughout the organization. And then making sure that the, that the technology that is in place talks to one another, that everybody has the information that they need. Those are the very, very basic steps. You know, it is really amazing how many companies I've worked with that have actually, before they moved into AI and machine learning, they were able to get some really excellent uh, answers about their markets from very basic statistics, from analytics that they were able to get from some pretty simple programs, uh, and at the end, make decisions. I'll tell you just one quick story. Uh, there was a company I was working with last autumn. I thought it was a good story uh, because they had a position for an analyst that was opened for three months. They had hundreds of applicants apply for the position. And with each person that came to interview, they uh, gave them this data that they had. It was, it was their data. Uh, it was by state here in the US. But some of the states, uh, I think Georgia, Florida, had uh, missing observations. They had some um, false data, corrupt data. Every applicant that came in was asked to offer a strategic plan based on the data that was given to them. Each applicant came up with a you know, sophisticated analytics algorithms, some in Python, some in R that they did. Uh, and then they would give a recommendation to the company. But they would always say, yeah, but you know, we can't say anything about these other states because the data is missing or it's corrupt. The company said, we know that. That's our problem. We need somebody that understands the system and can make recommendations even in light of missing data and um, um, what do we do with that? And finally, somebody was able to you know, come along and, and, and actually 
um, uh, offer a strategy. So make sure that you have the right data. That is the really first basic step and that your people understand how the entire system works and what the organizational strategy and vision is. Because all these analysts, by the way, and I've spent a lot of time with them, they'll code anything. They're brilliant people that can use the latest technology but many of them don't understand what questions to ask. And that is a real challenge. Um, they get excited and they'll code anything. They will find a relationship between your inventory and your birthday and the full moon, right? Um, what really matters? And uh, so I think that, again, coming back to the question. That's the strategic level, isn't it? That's at, that's at the sort of the level where, you know, the business level, really. Everybody needs to have some understanding, even the analysts, in terms of what questions are they trying to answer. Otherwise, they're just going to be chasing problems. Uh, one last super quick story, because I have a lot of stories. I gave a talk just a year ago in Cambridge here in Boston. Uh, after the talk, lots of people came up. And after everybody left, I had one young, young man come up to me, kind of looked around, make sure nobody was there, and said, can you help me? Uh, I am a procurement analyst for this and this company. I see all kinds of data. What do I do with it? He said, I literally sit there all day long and I stare at these numbers, but I don't know what to ask of it. So obviously we talked a little bit about, you know, how does he develop a supplier score and so forth. It was stunning to me that in 2019, somebody is asking me, a large company asking me, what do I do with all these numbers? So as a company, make sure that people know what to do with it. Make sure they know what questions to answer. Yeah. I think that's that's very valuable advice, and I think that's something that perhaps a lot of companies fail uh, to spot. You know, it's it's that interlinking of all of this data for the purposes of the growth of the business or whatever problem they're trying to solve or whatever question they're trying to ask. So I think it's it's, it's very valuable information. So I want to thank you, Nada, for uh, for being part of this uh, this episode with us and for sharing your insight. Thank you for having me. It was really a pleasure. And thank you for doing this because this really is very important for, for companies and, and leaders. No, I'm glad. And so they can get your book uh, on, uh, all on Amazon, of course, and uh, um, Taylor and Francis, uh, The Hue Machine book. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, for those of, you, those of you joining us, stay tuned to the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.